You're listening to the Sewing and Growing podcast and radio show with Jay and Jay. Welcome back, audio listener. And I want to tell you, we appreciate you. I can confidently speak on behalf of my counterpart, Pastor Jonathan Rossler. We appreciate you. And maybe yes. that is the first time today that you've heard that appreciation. But really, we do appreciate you yeah. because without you, the listener, there'd be no reason for Pastor Jonathan and myself having conversation, which we do regularly, which we love to do. We love there'd to be talk. no reason to put it on the internet. No, not at all. And I kind of like putting our conversation on the internet. And you're the reason <laughs> and you we make get to it, do it possible. You do make it possible. So thank you. I want to put out some specific shout outs because we've gotten some feedback recently. Uh, I heard from my friend Fernando. Thank you for saying that we're, we're doing great. That's encouragement to us. We appreciate that. Thank and you. then Eileen Martin. Eileen Martin said, hey, I finally found it. She had some hard time finding the podcast, apparently. A lot of people just think it's called the J&J Podcast. And it's not. It's I've not. heard that before. They're it's just like, I listen to J&J. I'm like, cool. That's not our name. I mean, that is our it's an abbreviation of our names, J&J. But it's called the Sewing and Growing Podcast yeah. with J&J, which kind of leaves room to if we ever get next, there could be different hosts. <laughs> yeah, we just have to find Jamal and Jerry. Jamal and Jerry. <laughs> well, I was just saying, like, we stopped doing it. We passed the mantle. It's the Sewing and Growing podcast with uh, Denise and uh, George. D&G. <laughs> sewing and Growing with D&G. Oh, uh, all right. Well, what I'm saying is, Eileen, thank you for giving the shout out. We're glad you're listening. You put a very long text message about how you really have vision for what it can accomplish and the generation we're in and how it can be reached uh thank you for that we do appreciate it and i'm passing this off to you man you've got some good material to go let's let's jump right into it so uh, this will be a series i'm just not exactly sure how long it will be but i'm really wanting to talk to the young ones um uh what we would call maybe teenagers so if you don't fall into that category um it's not a reason to turn this off. I really want to encourage you. You might be a parent of a teenager. And I think when you listen to this, you can, not that you're doing something wrong, but uh, maybe you are placing lower expectations on them than you should. And really, I just want to talk about how you can help equip them to launch into the next season of their life and give them the highest success rate. And I just want to say that this podcast, in my heart, is equally or more important for the older generations, yeah. my generation, to listen to. The reason being is, if you want to have influence, which is leadership, and jump over a wall, which I talked about last week, we got to jump over walls, and sometimes generational barriers can seem very large. Mm. You will not have as big of an influence in any other generation mm. than the one underneath you yeah. because you've been there, they look up to you, whether they acknowledge it or not. Right. And secondly, there's a God ordained commandment order for the older to influence the younger pass it on so fulfill your god-given mandate come on and if you're a teenager listening to this kudos congratulations i think you're already on the path to success not a whole lot of teenagers are just eating up podcast content shout out to gage martin because eileen martin sent me a picture of the podcast and then recently after that Gage was like, hey, listen to the podcast, man. Oh, that's awesome. Look at that. That's influence there. All right. So, um, yeah, we're addressing teenagers and 
how you can launch into the next season of your life with the highest success rate. Started off with a question. I'll just – it's for everyone. It's for the, the man sitting across the table. It's for Okay, I'll answer listening. it. Go for it. Do you like elephants? I do. I think they're cool It's a harmless unique. question. Okay. Cool and unique animals. They are. Do you want one as a pet? No. Have you ever ridden an elephant? No. That's a lot of no's. All right, let's, let's just lighten it up with a joke. How do you know an elephant is sleeping in the same bed as you? I think he's going to take all the covers. No, well, probably. That's probably a given. But he has a big E on his pajamas. <laughs> yeah, you'd think it was the, Dead the, the broken bed frame. No, it's the big E on his pajamas. You might think it's the, the ruined uh, door jam. No. It's the E on his pajamas. <laughs> All right. So as cute as elephants might be, they're actually the biggest, the strongest, the baddest animals pretty much on the planet, apart from ones that are in the water, okay? No discredit to blue whales, sperm whales, orcas, sharks, and anything else that might be in the deep blue sea. But as far as the land goes, the elephant is actually the king of the jungle. Most people, when you say that, you go, oh, it's the lion, right? We sing about that in children's church, right? Who's the king of the jungle? Who, who, who's the king of the sea? Actually, it's God. God's king of everything. <laughs> Your point just fell through. I, oh, no. Oh, yeah. I was, I was repeating that little kid song in my head. I'm like, oh, it's not good. I got to stop this. <laughs> um, but actually, the elephant is the king of the jungle. And in some Asian countries, farmers are still using elephants to do work. They help them plow their fields. They carry massive things of water. They move stuff for them. Uh, elephants are very useful, and they even hold festivals to celebrate their strength and their intelligence. And I saw a video on the internet where it was a hundred grown men um, in a tug of war against a full-grown elephant, and the elephant pulled all those guys to the ground like it was no contest. Um, so you think with all that strength, that power, that intelligence, you know, uh, elephants can paint pictures from memory with their trunks. It's, it's wild. It's wild. Um, you think with all that power, like what's holding that, what's stopping them from, from taking running over. away? From, oh yeah, Planet, of the, Planet of the Apes, right? Planet of the Elephants. What's stopping them from a complete uh, global takeover? <laughs> Many things, <laughs> uh, but what's let's just let's scale it down a little bit. What's keeping them from running away from the farmers or even or trampling all the rebelling houses, rebelling them? Yeah, rebelling against them. Um, really, it's this very simple solution. It's a post and a rope, and what they do is when these elephants are very young. They put a simple, small peg in the ground with a piece of twine, and they tie it around that elephant's ankle from a very young age. They feel just a little bit of resistance, right? I'm pulling on my mic cord right now. And they think that that is enough to, to keep them from, from, from breaking out. Yeah. And so they, they train these elephants to the time when they're very big. It's the same post and the same twine. But these elephants, it's really it's not so much about the rope around their foot. It's about the shackle that is around their mind. That's they big right think there. that they're trapped, even though they aren't actually trapped. So they've been held in place by a, a lie. The, you know, the metaphorical twine here is- Stake is the, in the ground. The stake in the ground, it's a lie. This is what we call the myth of adolescence. The myth of adolescence. So what is a teenager? Webster just defines it as a person between the ages of 13 and 19. Pretty simple. Okay, it's a word that we've all grown accustomed to. but. Can you guess when it was actually first used? I'm going to I'm gonna do some pop quiz. Um, so, listener, I'm giving you multiple choice. That's my favorite format of questions. Yes. On a on a Makes it much quiz. easier. Right. Or true and false is there as well. Ooh. 
I like true and There's false. There's less options with the true yeah. and false. 50, but if 50. you have a really nice teacher, they'll give you like three outlandish. Like that's obviously not. What it. is the expectation of the teacher? Yeah. Oh, we're going to get into that. Ah. All right. Here's multiple choice. When was the first use of teenager? Was it A, Tyndale's first edition of the New Testament in 1526? B, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet in 1920, or sorry, in 1623? C, a Reader's Digest issue in 1941? Or D, Benjamin Franklin's Poor Richard's Almanac in 1899? Here, I'm going to give you the music. Is it, what is it? Price is Right? Jeopardy. Sorry, Jeopardy. Let's play. Cue the Jeopardy music. All right. So the correct answer is actually C, from a Reader's Digest issue in 1941. That's the first use of the word teenager. Before 1941, it didn't exist. Didn't go. It just wasn't around. So prior to the 20th century, people were classified in two categories. You were either a child or you were an adult. There was no in-between. There was no teenager and in 1900 only one out of 10 people between the ages of 14 and 17 even attended high school what they were doing is they were out being adults they were contributing to society and they were in the workforce so what has changed you look at today's society what has changed is it just the fact that we're now using the word teenager i don't think so the answer is this that people today view the teen years through the modern lens of adolescence, a social category of age and behavior that didn't even exist not that long ago. So the word adolescence means this, it means to grow up. This is true biologically and in other aspects of maturity, but the modern understanding of adolescence is that it allows, it encourages, and it, and it even trains young people to remain childish for as long as possible. It holds you back from what you could do, from what God has made you to do, or even what you want to do if you just got out from society's low expectations. So in the year 1900, a cascade of labor and school reform laws were passed in an attempt to protect kids from the really harsh working conditions that were around. And for good reason, there was some very harsh working conditions. Working hard and, in the coal mines. Yeah, and education was suffering back then. I'm not saying don't go to school. It's important to be uh, educated. But what this did, sorry, I'm holding in a burp. I'm drinking a Coke Zero. I don't know if people know that. <laughs> they could assume such. So the laws had good, they had good intentions um, because, like I said, some, uh, some conditions were very harsh. Um, but by removing young people entirely from the workforce, what we did is we transformed a generation of producers into a generation of consumers. Go ahead. I listened to a book by a former senator from the state of Nebraska about some of the same things that we're talking about today. And he talked about what children were living with and dealing with pre this time period, early 1900s and afterwards pre the 1900s, they spent a lot of time with people older than them. Mm, yeah. They were yeah. in the fields with their grandpa. They were in the fields with their older siblings, much older than them, but mainly their parent, their uncle working in the field. I believe biblically and even plain wisdom lays out that, you're going to learn more from people that are older than you. Yep. After the 1900s, once this, there was that children by themselves and amongst themselves can be creative. Mm. And now children mainly spend the majority of their time 
with people in their same age range. Secondly, and then I'm moving it on to you, is they spent a lot of time around death. Yeah. Their grandpa and grandma has always lived with them, and there was a lot more death in and the knowledge of the fleeting nature of life was always around them because grandma was dying of tuberculosis in the back room, which sounds miserable, and it was. But psychologically, it affected these kids, what this right. author said, to really appreciate, appreciate the life, life they have. Yeah. Keep going. That's good. So we have transformed a generation of producers into a generation of consumers. So what we essentially did is we created a person with most of the desires and even the abilities of an adult, but without the expectations or the responsibilities. And just like that, the teenager was born. So for the past two centuries, we've really been catering to the teenager. Primarily, a lot of advertising, most advertising, is catered to teenagers and kids. Yeah, I bet you've even dealt with this as, uh, this is cater in a different way. I know that, talking about, but even as a youth minister, you, maybe you called somebody up to a higher expectation. Like, right. come on, they're just a teenager, man. Yeah. You ever heard yeah, that? We just give them a pass. Yeah. Yeah. Or I've done it too. Yeah, I've done it. Okay, so how we cater to the teenagers to? with movies, with music, fashion, fast food, social media. Every industry is catering to the teenager. We talk about YouTube. We see the biggest influencers on YouTube. These people are not teenagers. They're full-grown adults, but making content for their primary audience, which is teenagers. You look at Mr. Beast. He's like in his late 20s, yet his his main audience is teenagers or sometimes even younger. Yeah. All right. Here's an interesting fact about YouTube is that it's the second big, second largest search engine behind Google. All right. So when people can't find what they want on Google, they just, they go to YouTube. YouTube is just a, it's a, a machine. <laughs> it is an algorithm. Well, we're not machine. talking about YouTube. I mean, we are, but I'm done talking about YouTube now. So we are catering to this generation. So the teen years are now considered basically a vacation. Society doesn't expect much or anything from you. Not competence, maturity, productivity. The only thing that society wants from teenagers is to feed them the lie that they're on vacation so that they can benefit, right? The people, the advertisers, society, their wallets get bigger by keeping you in that childlike state and thinking that you don't have potential placing a low expectation on you. So I did a Google search for for teens and so I just like I typed in teens and and then saw what Google suggested. So we've got teens in sleep, teens in drugs, teens in depression, teens in sex, teens in cell phones. So even Google isn't really expecting much from you as as a teenager. And in fact, society expects more from babies than they do teenagers, right? Babies learn to walk, talk, uh basically with a 100% success rate. While few teenagers are learning to do things, communicate effectively with their parents, learn a special skill, right? I'm painting with a broad brush stroke. There's a lot of teenagers who have awesome skill sets. And I'm not really talking about those individuals, but I'm talking as, as a whole. Uh, and so why are babies, you know, learning this stuff with a 100% success rate? Well, there's an expectation. One is expected to, one is not. You know, there is an argument for babies, right? Like, like that's just a developmental thing that's bound to happen. Yeah. Um, but the principle remains where there's low expectation, there's low performance. Mm -hmm. Where there's high expectation, 
there's high performance. And maybe the baby analogy wasn't a good one, but here's a good one because this is an actual scientific study. It's actually called the Pygmalion effect or the Rosenthal effect. So there was a scientist named Robert Rosenthal who did a study in 1964 based off of the Greek myth Pygmalion. So this myth was uh, a sculptor, a Greek sculptor named Pygmalion, made a, made an ivory statue of a goddess, and he fell in love with it so much that it actually came to life. Mm-hmm. So that was the premise of this study. Um, he kind of willed this statue to life. Um, so what uh, Robert Rosenthal did is he took a group of elementary students and he gave them an IQ test, two groups, one, uh, uh, the same IQ test. And then he didn't tell the teachers what students had the higher IQ score. He just said, this group is going to be educational and intellectual bloomers. These guys have a lot of potential. So what that did is it caused the teachers to place a higher expectation on those students throughout the year. So at the end of the year, the two groups took the IQ test again. And actually, if I'm remembering correctly, um, the lower IQ at the beginning of the year was the group that they said were going to be the intellectual and educational bloomers. And at the end of the year, they took the test again. And the, the, the one with the higher expectation from the teachers, actually their IQ score was way higher um, than before. So the premise of this is we're high, like I said earlier, if there's high expectations, there's usually yeah. high performance. Um, so that, that can benefit from, from, from any scenario. I mean, if you are a boss um, leading a group of people in the workplace or even in a church, when you place higher expectations, usually people are going to meet those and even exceed those. And I was just saying along the same lines in a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers, he talks about hockey players and how the, I believe, Canadian exceptionally great hockey players that went through the youth programs, how it started. And it was when they were nine or 10, they were put on a better team and that team got more ice time, time on task. So with high expectations is normally more focused time on the task you're developing. And if you're comparing what transition happened with men and women who are now teenagers, just based off a social construct, what, these men and women, which I'm going to call men and women because that's kind of where we're going expectation-wise, yeah. what they before were doing in work and production now was passively sitting and consuming. So we're not seeing as much production from their life. Why? Because they haven't spent as much time on task producing yeah. something, enough time practicing right. it. And I just think anytime you move towards action, expectation and action normally are married together. And we all need to move more towards action. Yeah. Yeah, I like what you said with the whole time on task thing because, I mean, it's a, it's a basic principle, yet we shy away from it because it makes us uncomfortable. But if you want to get better at something, you surround yourself with people who are better than you at it. So that looks like playing in the league above you in, in hockey or whatever it is. And it makes you uncomfortable because it exposes you. You're like, man, I'm not as good. I was even watching this documentary on YouTube of this guy who visited this – Swartz and Trooper Amish family and the 11 year old or 10 year old was on the horse pulling this massive disc through the field mm. 10 to 12 year old and he's like yep it's time for him to learn <laughs> it's time for him to do yeah well or we'd be like no way am I putting my child on that thing if he falls off he's gonna get cut right. into pieces and we'll wait till he's 20 mm. where's that 12 year old gonna be with that task 
when he's 20 compared to the 20 year old who's yeah. just starting. Man, I see this play out time and time again, even when I'm playing golf. Man, like when I'm playing with somebody who's a lot better than me, I will score well. When I'm playing with John Pitchnotti. <laughs> For with some hackers, <laughs> I usually don't play super good. It's just funny. It's the expectation level. Um, all right, I think we've belabored that point. Um, here's what the Bible says about a- adolescence: nothing, zero. There's zero references to the time between childhood and adulthood either in the Bible. But you will find this. You will fall. What's the word? Find Paul saying this. First uh, Corinthians thirteen eleven. He says this. When I was a child, I mm-hmm. spoke like a child. And I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man or when I grew up, I gave up childish ways. Notice he didn't say when I was a child, I spoke and thought like and reasoned like a child. But when I became a teenager, I looked like an adult. I spoke like an adult, but I still acted like a child. No, he said he put away childish things. He became a man. Uh, First Timothy 4.12, Paul told Timothy, who was very young at the time, don't let anyone despise your youth or look down on you because you're young but set an example for believers in speech, life, love, and in faith and purity. So what we see here is that God does not hold two standards, one for young adults and one for adults. He has high expectations for both. So God has called you, we'll just say a teenager, right, to be an example where culture expects little from you, God expects much from you. So that's read that, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, right? You putting away, there comes a time in your life where we don't transition, right? We put away childish things and we grow up. We become men and women of God. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 20 says this, brothers, stop thinking like children in regards to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be mature. Mm -hmm. So culture today has really flipped this around. Most of us are mature to what is evil. So a great example of this is you go on YouTube or Twitter and there are tons of accounts that are, that are dedicated to posting fight videos. And anyone can consume this content and they're watching people get knocked out. People get seriously injured, even people die. And so what, what happens is you're becoming mature to what is evil. That word mature is, is basically you're becoming familiar with what is evil, what is wrong. And maybe a milder state, but maybe not spiritually speaking. There's times at youth group where I'll quote part of a song and then I'll hear the rest of the congregants in that room (laughs) repeat the other part of the song. And then later on, when I'm really getting to the core of my message, I quote half the verse, I wait, and I could hear a pin drop. What is that? That's being wise to what's evil, what's of culture. And ignorant to right. what is good, the word of God. Another good word f- to use for that might be sensitive. So we've become desensitized mm-hmm. to evil. Things that we shouldn't even have seen. Um, and now we're, we're, so we're desensitized to evil, but we're immature in our thinking. Um, so society has really pulled the wool over our eyes. And we have an entire generation of consumers, like I said earlier, who are taught that the teen years are a big vacation. Responsibilities for adults. And culture is placing a low expectation on you. Really, the and I'll, I'll say this, I'll just say the word teenager. I know we're kind of combating against that. But the teenage years are some of the most important years in one's life. They are to be spent in preparation. And Pastor Mark has a great quote on preparation. You want to go ahead and say it? I know you know it. Preparation time is not wasted time. Part two of that, unless right. you waste preparation There it time. is. So back to the elephant. 
right? Tree and the shackle when we're younger. The elephant eventually gives up. Then it's replaced with a post and twine. So uh, I uh, didn't give the full context of this. So they actually tie them around a tree, something that they can't move when they're young. But then they move it to something smaller, like a post and twine. Anyways. The damage has been uh, done. Right. The damage has been done. The elephant is believing a lie. The shackle's no longer there um, on his foot, but it's on his mind. And as soon as he feels resistance, he gives up. So too many young people are quitting because of some resistance. They're wanting to take the path of least resistance. And it, all it's doing is, is it's setting you up for a life of failure later on in life. So we need to break the twine. Ooh, maybe I should call the podcast that. That's good. It makes me think of one of my favorite quotes because the Bible compares us to a tree. You said we want to take the path of least resistance, but Mm. there's a quote that says, good timber doesn't grow with ease. Stronger Stronger the the wind, wind, stronger stronger the the trees. That's a good one. So my goal is to help you maybe as a parent of someone in the teenage years or as someone in their teenage years to understand that these years are not a vacation from responsibility, but they're a launching pad for the rest of your life. So let's talk about this idea of failure to launch. All right. You ever, you've been on a diving board. Come on. Yes. So the diving board has a sweet spot near the end. If you jump too far back, you're not, you're not going to hit that sweet spot or too far forward. You'll lose your bounce, right? You'll lose your jump and you'll end up belly flopping, right? There's a sweet spot that you need to hit to have the best possible outcome or results. True with the baseball swing, the baseball bat, even a golf swing. There's a sweet spot in the middle of the club that makes it go a lot further than if you were to hit it off the heel or the toe. So teenage years, very crucial getting in the right spot on the launch pad to propel you into the next part of life. Um, So the whole point of a diving board is to launch us with precision and with purpose into the water or for the the sake of analogy, into our futures. We can have a successful dive into adulthood um, or a massive belly flop or what we'd call failure to launch. J.C. Riley said this, youth is the seed time of full age. It's the molding season in the little space of human life, the turning point in the history of man's mind. So what he's trying to convey that is what he's trying to convey is that who we become later on in life is largely determined by who we become right now. So 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25 says this, do, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So the teen years are a time of preparation. It's a time of training. Proverbs uh, 20, uh, verse 29 says this, the glory of young men is their strength. Mm-hmm. So um, well, we can just say it this way, the Uh, Just the glory of youth in general is their strength. There's no better time to train and be determined to become who you are going to be than right now. Your strength, your sharp mind, your intellect, your flexible schedule. It's the glory of youth. These are a set of strengths. So if you don't take action, this mindset, this lie, this this myth of adolescence is not going to go away. So kidults are the prime example. Kidults. Uh, people in their late 20s, even 30s, who will not step through the door of adulthood, right? They're on the edge of the diving board, but they won't jump in. 
And I'm thinking about kidults. There's a whole category of kidults, and they're actually called Disney adults. Have you ever heard of them? Never heard of them. Oh, man. So I went to Disney last year with my family, and I was shocked at how many full-grown adults who were there without children. It's a it's a phenomenon. You see them on TikTok. It's they they're so obsessed with Disney, and they will take time for you know they'll take a vacation and go there as a full-grown adult by themselves. And that's a whole. Not, I was about to say a whole other podcast. I'm not going to do a podcast on Disney <laughs> adults, right? So don't fear though. There's even hope for the kidult. Okay, William Wilberforce. Um, this was one of the greatest revolutionaries the war has ever seen. Uh, he actually wasted the first 25 years of his life away with parties, so just social life. Uh, yet he went on to be one of the greatest forces behind the um, abolition of slavery uh, and the emancipation of slaves in the British Empire. So how how he did this? Well, first of all, Wilberforce, he gave his life to Jesus. That's the number one factor. Um, and God's love really broke through and changed his heart, and he repented of his past. But second, Wilberforce chose to do hard things. He threw himself into the study and uh, into study and activism. Activism for over forty years, he fought against slavery, and and just before he died, he saw it abolished. So this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Listen, God offers mercy, grace, redemption to those with wasted pasts. Uh, but we're never going. Let us never presume upon God's grace by wasting even a minute of what Wilberforce called the most valuable years of his life. So embracing responsibility and doing things that are challenging at a young age is actually crucial. So this is really about placing higher expectations on yourself, right? Playing in the league above, doing something. Here, here's, here's something. I, I, I love this. This is a quote um, by a pastor named uh, Earl Gleason. And he said this, something might be beyond your experience level, but it's not beyond your capacity. Um, so knowing that as just an adult, I mean, just as a person in general, God is going to call you something, call you to something that's beyond your experience level, but it's not beyond your capacity. That's good. That's Amen. Good. So uh, the book of Lamentations says this, or actually, let me start. Let me say this. Embracing responsibility and doing things that are challenging is crucial. It forges your determination and your character. It forces you to, to develop a habit of embracing challenges. The book of Lamentations says that it's good for a young man to bear the yoke in his youth. Kind of like that story you were saying about the little the kid in the field with the plow. Yes, exactly. Uh, you will face these challenges sooner or later, and you can't run from them. Remember, there's an African parable, and it was spoken at a GLS, Global Leadership Summit. But there's a water buffalo that can have two different responses. There's a water buffalo who stands in the field and sees the storm coming and tries to run from the rain, which ultimately what happens is, is that they prolong their time in the rain because they're trying to outrun the rain. And then they're just running and continually being in the storm. Yeah. Then there's a water buffalo. Like they're not finding shelter. They're just no, running. No, just like, oh, I'm going to get yeah. away. And they just keep going in the same direction and the rain catches them. The second one stakes their claim, stands in the field, endures the rain, becomes stronger from it, and has to deal with it for a limited amount of time. That's good. So you'll bear face the him. yoke. Yeah, bear the yoke. It's good for a young man to bear the yoke in his youth. So here's a category, a list of... Uh, a, here is a list categorizing, that's what I'm trying to say, things that are difficult and things that you can strive to do right now. And if you're a parent, set these expectations on your kids, uh, on your 
teenagers who you are trying to view as adults. And if you're a teenager, place these expectations on yourself. Number one, do things that are outside of your comfort zone. Number two, do things that go beyond what is expected or even desired of you. Number three, do things that are too big for you to accomplish alone. Number four, do things that don't earn an immediate payoff. And number five, do things that challenge the cultural norm. So in the next part of this series, we'll, we're going to dive into these categories a little bit more. But that's what I have for today. Really, this first part is about breaking the myth of adolescence and launching into adulthood by placing higher expectations upon yourself. Or just, a, just it's good to have high expectations. Surround yourself with people who are expecting a lot of you and of themselves. That's great. Um, let's go into wisdom of the day. All right. I want to bring up some of your points there. Those are awesome. I think I can still apply these to my life, but I believe if we want to do something great, we're going to have to do something greater than what is expected of myself. And from, we're all going to have to ask ourselves that question. Even the podcast that I did last week, Richard Kirkland, he jumped over while no one expected him to do that. And so often because we've been trained to be consumers and if we're adulting, which a lot of even our generation, we do that. We wait to see what the expectation is and then see if we can bend that expectation to lower it even more and then meet that lowered expectation than what they said. We're trying to find the path of uh, least resistance. But if we want to be known for something great, if we want to shine bright in a dark world, we're going to have to take an action that no one expected us to take. Yeah. And I just asked a group of young people that I was with recently. I said, have you ever, and I can ask it of myself, have I ever done something that somebody never would have expected me to do for the better? Hmm. And I'm not talking about, I did the dishes when my wife didn't expect me to do the dishes. That's within the realm of possibility. Something impossible, something I never would have thought John would have done that, but I'm so thankful he did. And the more actions like that I take, the better off I'll be and the better off the world will be. Yeah. So when someone doesn't meet your expectation, the natural response is to lower the bar. And that puts everyone at a detriment. For instance, what we're doing in our armed forces, you can't do this amount of pull-ups. All right, we're going to lower the bar. You include more people, so in the name of inclusivity, it's like, great, awesome. But what you've done is you've just put the entire troop of people that you're with at a disadvantage because you couldn't meet that expectation. So even as a leader, when someone doesn't meet your expectations, don't lower the bar. How do you help them get to that point next time? How do you help them reach that expectation next time? And it's not even the just the troops that are at a disadvantage. All the people that they're vowing to protect. Yeah. We as a populace are at a disadvantage because our armed forces are at a disadvantage. Yeah. It always flows downstream. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Um, my wisdom of the day, I mean, that was kind of, I was adding on to yours. But I thought that like, was your wisdom. I kind of liked what I had to say there. So maybe I'll just leave it at that. Um, going once. Yeah. Going, going twice. twice. Sold. Wisdom of the day yeah, to the man it. in the Bass Pro hat. <laughs> yeah, so um, hopefully you got something out of that. I, I encourage you to to tune in next week, and we'll. I'm kind of kicking myself. I wish I took these things more seriously. I would have been farther along. If well, I was a CEO by now. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is great. It really is. Thanks yeah. for your hard work in getting this podcast to us. Yeah. Man. Oh, I'll say this though: most 
pre- basically everything in this podcast came from a book. What's the name of it? The book, and I've mentioned it a few different times on this podcast. It's the book called Do Hard Things. Um, I can't remember their exact names, but the Harris Two brothers, brothers they're, right? They're yeah. twins. Yeah, the Harris brothers. Um, this helped me a lot when I was younger. It helps me even to today. And if you are a parent looking, well, summer's over. But if you're looking to give, I was going to say summer reading material, but summer's over. Looking for some good reading material for your teenager who you are expecting to jump into adulthood. This is a great, great book for them. It challenges you to do hard things. Raise the bar. Amen? You pray. <laughs> the audio listener or me? Um, both. Awesome. Father God, thank you so much that you have high expectations and you've given us the grace to accomplish what you've called us to do. Father God, I thank you that your word, wisdom, brings us to a higher level and we don't disdain that. We don't push away from it. We lean into the tension. And Father God, I thank you for uh, causing us to be a city that is set on a hill that's shining bright so people would know you. Uh, So no matter what our age is, thank you for causing us to be doers and not just hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Catch us next time on the Sowing and Growing Podcast with J&J. But emphasis on the words before J&J, the title is Sowing and Growing for those. Well, I was going to say for those who are searching, but you, you're already here. But if you're going to mention it to somebody when else, you, tell you them it's Sowing so- and Growing. When you let somebody know about this podcast, yeah. yep. don't say, hey, it's the J&J podcast. That's true, but it's not going to help them find it. It's only a partial truth. And we know, what what, what do we know about partial truths? They're a lot. I'm just, I'm kidding. Don't bear false witness, We should have ended this 30 seconds ago. I'm ending it now really abruptly. Go.